Today we find ourselves again uh, still in the what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to be beginning uh, my illustration, and it's going to cover two different areas. One is the issue of adultery, and the other is what God thinks about what we should do in terms of being serious about our sin. And he's going to talk about if, you're, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand sins, cut it off. And we're going to talk about what he means by that and what he wants us to do uh, literally with those kinds of things. And that's why my introduction is going to cover both of those areas. First of all, adultery, which is where somebody has sex with somebody outside of their marriage partner. Adultery in the Old Testament, because the Old Testament tells us what God really thinks about our sin. The Old Testament, at times, you could be punished by death if you committed adultery. Now, we're going to look up some verses, because I want you to see these things as we go through it. But the first one is going to be in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10. And we'll visit Leviticus 20 also later on. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10. It says there, if there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who, the one who commits adultery and his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. What does God think of the sin of adultery? God thinks that it is worthy of the death penalty. Now, we don't live in a society that has the death penalty for people that have committed adultery. Uh, but in the Old Testament, God said, that's what I think of adultery. That's uh, what a violation it is of marriage, and it's important to me. And so the rule back then uh, was that they would be put to death. Now, I'm only quoting this not because I believe any of it, but because I want you to see that other ancient uh, or older religions also had such uh, punishments as well as the Bible. And in the Quran from Shura 538a, it says this, as to the thief, so we're talking about somebody who steals something. As for the thief, be it male or female, cut off his or her hands a, a punishment by way of example from Allah for their crime. Now that's just an illustration how other religions dealt with some serious uh, uh, sins and maybe we wouldn't think it was that serious you'd have to lose your hand. Uh, but in, in the uh, Muslim religion, yes. In the Old Testament, there is one prescription for amputation of the hand, and that is found in Deuteronomy 25, 11 and following. So I'm going to read that. Deuteronomy 25, and we're in 11 and 12, where it says this. If two, if two men, a man and his countrymen, or his brother literally in the text, are struggling together, and the wife of the one comes near to deliver her husband from the hand of the one who is striking him, and she puts out her hand and seizes his genitals, then you shall cut off her hand, and you shall not show pity. All right, so that's one issue in the Old Testament where uh, the punishment was severe enough that they would remove a hand. There was also a law against dismemberment and marring the human body. And I'm saying that because when we read our text this morning, I don't think Jesus is promoting that we literally pluck out an eye or literally cut off a hand. But I want you to know that there are times and places where that was literal, uh, not in our text this morning, uh, and because God is very interested in how we treat our bodies. So if we want to look uh, together in Leviticus 19 and verse 28, God's law says you shall not make any cuts in your body. Now, I happen to know that up to 98% of all of our young people are cutting themselves today. 
and it releases endorphins and it ends up beginning to feel good for them. It's not the thing to do. God says, don't cut yourselves. And here it's for the cult of the dead where pagan peoples would find somebody in their family died and they would rant and rave before their God, not Yahweh God. They'd cut themselves and let the blood drip on the dead person and asking their gods to cause that person to come back to life. We don't involve ourselves with that, and I don't think young people or old people should be cutting themselves for any reason. If they are, then they need to come get help. Uh, The next thing it says is this. You shall not make any cuts in your body for the dead, nor shall you make any tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. God doesn't want us tattooing our bodies either. Why? Well, the issue is this. Adam and Eve were created in perfection. Then they sinned against God, and, and that perfection was distorted, and it was, uh, it was made something that is no longer available to us. There's not protection or perfection anymore. But what we are trying to do as we follow God is get our lives and ourselves back to the pre-fall creation of man. We want to emulate what Adam and Eve were before the fall of man. And so one of the things we don't do is we don't mar, we don't beat up, we don't deface the body that God has given us because that takes us further from creation order and not closer to creation order. So I believe that's why God put those things in there. Don't cut yourself, don't tattoo yourself because you're marring the image of God in you. And so those, those commands are there. All right, so it seems strange uh, this morning to be talking about adultery and amputation, but that's exactly what Jesus is doing this morning in this text before us. Uh, He takes on the correct understanding of what is the seventh commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, uh, you will not or you shall not commit adultery. The punishment was severe for adultery in the Old Testament. Uh, Today in our world, it's almost celebrated. As in other cultures in Old Testament times and later, it was also severe uh, for some of these sins, and especially for adultery. It is that severity in dealing with sins. Let me say that again. It's the severity in dealing with sin that Jesus wants us to get a hold of this morning. Not to get a hold of mutilation of the body, but seriously considering ourselves as being dead to sin. All right, so the members of our body need to be brought in subjection to God so that they are not uh, serving sin. In Romans chapter 6, verses 11 to 14, it says this, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin rule in your mortal body so that you may obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. You have been forgiven. So what we're thinking about is this. When we think about the sin of adultery, often our hands are involved in that and our eyes are involved in that. And that's what Jesus is going to be talking about. That's why he said, pluck out your eye, cut off your hand. Deal with it seriously. God gave us hands, but not so that they could do sinful things. God gave us eyes, but not so they can do sinful things like lusting after a woman and committing adultery in your heart. So these things are what Jesus is applying to his, uh, under, his understanding and what we're going to understand about this issue of adultery. All right, so let's read the text that we have before us in Matthew 5, and we're doing uh, 27 
uh, through uh, 30. We'll, we'll be dealing with, he deals with divorce next. We'll deal with that next week. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, and we know this is the seventh commandment from Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5. You shall not commit adultery, all right, or do not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her, he has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And that's where we'll stop today, all right? Um, I want to say again, I don't believe Jesus is talking about a literal mutilation of the body. Jesus is a respecter of the, of the image of God in us and, and the creation of us. So I don't think that's what he's wanting at this point. In verses 27 and 28, we simply learn uh, that the Bible teaches, do not have sex with a person you are not married to. Do not have sex with a person you are not married to. Um, I remember one time uh, working with a, a couple and there had been adultery in that relationship and they were splitting up and they wanted me to talk to their high school daughter about it because she was uh, terribly upset about it. Her grades were going down and, and she wasn't doing well. And all of our grades would go down if we had to uh, have a bedroom next to a mom and dad who were fighting and literally hitting each other and screaming at each other and you can't sleep. And you can't do your homework because you're sleeping in school. And uh, she came, and nobody had ever told her the truth. And I said, your mom has had an affair. And you know what she thought that meant? <laughs> she thought that meant that her mom had snuck out behind her dad's back and went and had coffee with another man somewhere. And that's not what adultery is, right? It's, uh, they were having sex with each other outside of marriage. And so when she found that out, it completely devastated her. But uh, thankfully, we were there to help her get through that when she finally realized what was going on. I wanted her to know none of this was her fault. In one respect, though, uh, as Jesus teaches today, that girl may have been right if her mother's motives were, were wrong. And uh, she didn't maybe have, have uh, intercourse with that guy, but her motives were wrong. And that's what Jesus is going to be talking about today. You don't have to physically be with somebody to commit adultery. You can do that in your heart. And that's what Jesus wants us to know. The religious leaders of Jesus' day always drew lines and boundaries. And they said, okay, thou shalt not commit adultery. And Jesus said, listen, okay, folks, you're committing adultery way before you have the physical act. You're, you're committing adultery already in your heart. And that's just as bad to God as if you go out and do it. All right, so in verse 27, the Old, uh, the Old Testament rightly commanded God's people not to engage in or perform sex with someone that they're not married to. That's Exodus 2014, thou shalt not commit adultery, and also in Deuteronomy 5. This goes for people who think that since they filed for divorce, it's okay, even before their divorce is final, uh, to go out and have sex with somebody that they're not married to. I want to remind you of a passage in Romans uh, chapter 7. And Paul is making an illustration about how until, uh, until you're dead to the law, you're bound by the law, and he uses marriage as an indication of that. So he says in verse 1 of Romans 7, Or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, 
that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. So he's talking about the Old Testament law, and it taught that as long as you're alive, God's law has, has rule over you. And he gives an illustration. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. By the way, the word for law here is a word that is a legal binding word. It's a forensic word. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning her husband. So if while her husband is living, uh, whether she divorced him or not, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. So she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Uh, running into too many people that have a divorce uh, pending and they're already sexually active uh, doing other things, which is uh, as wrong uh, as, as uh, doing it while you're married because you, in God's eyes, are still married. So there is no situation, according to the Bible, where a married person is permitted to have sex with someone, not his husband or his wife. Sorry, my nose is, is running. Let me uh, take care of that a minute. All right, that's better for a while. Um, in the, in the uh, Old Testament, adultery is general, uh, as in general, was punishable by death. Leviticus 20.10 that we read uh, uh, before. If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's or his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress surely shall be put to death. Those laws are expounded upon later. If a woman cries out in the country, she's not guilty because no one could have heard her. If she cries out for help in the city, people could hear her. And if she doesn't cry out, then she is guilty and would be put to death. The problem was that the Pharisees understood this to only refer to the actual physical act of adultery. So here too, as Jesus has been doing all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, he informs us that one can commit adultery without the physical act involved. Well, that's not what we heard from the Pharisees. That's not what they were teaching us. Uh, Jesus said, I want you to know when God said don't commit adultery, he means not even in your heart. Jesus says in verse 28 that there is a way to look at a woman that makes one guilty of adultery without the physical act taking place. Now, it, is, it, is, it cannot simply be that a man looks at a woman. It, there's something else involved if it's going to be adultery. And it is his intention and motivation in, with this man for looking, or should I say longing for her, and she is married to someone else. So there's a difference between just looking. You can't go through life without seeing women. You just can't do that. They're everywhere. Uh, we're glad about that, but it's not just that. It is his intention in his looking and his motivation for his looking. And I, and I think I should say uh, she's obviously married to someone else. So that's, uh, that's wrong. Whether physical or lustful only, adultery is nothing less than misplaced faithfulness and love. If you are in a covenant with a wife, if you said, I do, if you said, I promise, or I will, and you promised your faithfulness to her for the rest of your life, if you said that, that's why marriage vows are so important. 
And that's why I, I don't like some of the times when I hear people write their own vows. They're not binding themselves to anything. It's all flowery. They're not making any commitment for God, and that shouldn't be. You're making a commitment for God, before his angels, before the witnesses at your wedding, that you're going to be faithful to this person in every way, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So if you're in a covenant with a wife or a husband, being unfaithful is thought in thought or deed, Jesus says, is adultery. Now, Dr. Carlson, or I'm sorry, Carson, said this when he's trying to define what does it mean to look lustfully. That's a difficult thing because there's lust and then there's a different kind of lustfully that Jesus is talking about. And Dr. Carson says it means this. It is looking at a woman in such a way as to entice her to lust. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. That would kind of make... Uh, the woman partly responsible for what you decided to do in looking at her. Uh, so I, I don't know if I can agree with Dr. Carson on that or not. Now, he may be right because he knows more about the Bible than I do, but um, I don't know that uh, I think you can lust. I think you can commit adultery in your heart without her even responding. She may not even know you're looking at her. She may not even know that you have desires for her. And so I don't know that we can spread that guilt around uh, except for the man. And knowing us men, because I am one, I can't imagine a man who has not then committed adultery at some time in his life at one point or another through lust and lusting after someone in the wrong way. Even if it's just a pornographic picture on a page, uh, which is also uh, problematic. Can I say that there is still, however, a difference? Because I heard a man say when I was going through this with him and we were trying to learn what it said, he said, well, if God's already going to hold me guilty because I lusted in my heart, I might as well go ahead and enjoy the physical act while I'm at it. That is the wrong attitude, right? Because uh, there is a difference. I've heard men say that. I might as well do the deed if God's going to hold me uh, guilty for adultery. And the answer to that is no. Uh, I can say that lusting... Uh, to have but not doing is far less detrimental than actually doing it. When it is physical, when we go that far, all right, and somebody gets caught, or even in God's eyes if they don't get caught, it gets exponentially worse for everybody. There are broken homes, broken hearts, mistrust, anger, abandonment, and bitterness towards God is, is much more devastating. And children who are always affected in a negative way uh, by a divorce. And also, uh, they are affected in a negative way in, when they see couples break up like this one we had on the screen this morning. And they say, you know what? Who needs marriage? So cohabiting is going through the roof right now. And they say, well, I don't want to get into that because I don't want to go through the pain of divorce. I saw my folks do that. And I don't want to go down that road, but we'll just live together. All right, and so we'll enjoy each other that way. Uh, and they're afraid of marriage. They can't make a commitment. They can't stand before God and witnesses and say, no, we're going to make a commitment in this world that, frankly, um, half the married population never keeps, never does it. In counseling, when a man or a woman forgives his or her spouse for adultery, which happens a lot, uh, that person who forgave that, that spouse that committed adultery against them, that person gave that spouse the most miraculous of gifts that one can give his or her spouse to say, I forgive you. If they don't say that, there is no hope for that marriage. There's no hope for it lasting. 
And I actually run into people and say, well, maybe they shouldn't be married. <laughs> Just a minute. God said, when he joins together, let no man separate. God is the one who instituted marriage. Marriage is good, and, and we should hold it in high esteem, and we should keep our vows with that, and we should always uh, honor our spouse in that way. And so, yes, God says, I hate divorce, and a man covering his garments with treachery, back in Malachi 2.16. So God cares about this. And I need to make sure that I do my best to do my vows. So, yes, you should forgive your spouse. It's not easy. It takes a lot of help from God. You should forgive them and work it out and stay together and get connected at the heart level. And I hear people say, no, it's better for them not to be uh, together. Well, I, I would disagree with that. Unless somebody's getting beat up, and, and that's a whole different story. We handle that a different way. I always point out when a spouse is forgiven for their adultery, uh, the enormity of that gift, the immenseness of it to the offender. And I always tell the one that offended you, do you understand the fantastic gift that you just got from your spouse? Do you understand what he or she has just done for you? And the reason that's important is because lots of times if you got cheated on, you are going to go out and hurt your spouse and cheat on them. Now we have a real big problem, all right? And sometimes people think, oh, wait a minute, okay, so we just show up for counseling and I'm supposed to forgive him, and he did this, 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 and this, he embarrassed me, he, he, made, he made me feel ashamed, he did all these things, and I'm just supposed to let him off the hook? <laughs> That's what forgiveness is. And Jesus, if he did it for you, for everything you've done, then we as Christians should not be able to withhold that if we're Christians from somebody else. And so, yeah, if, if anybody needs to pay, let God take care of that, not me. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. I have also seen where she cheats on him and he returns by cheating on her, and now they're both guilty of scandalizing and, uh, and profaning the marriage. That is, both are guilty of bringing a downfall to what they once pledged in front of witnesses, in front of God, their lives too, and their vows all of a sudden mean nothing. And vows don't mean anything. If your word isn't good, then they don't mean anything. But to God, he will hold you responsible for what you say you will do. There will always be consequences. Uh, Proverbs 6 is where I want to go uh, to uh, bolster that statement. Proverbs 6, 32 to 35, it says this. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does this. All right, so there's, there's consequences to adultery. You want to destroy yourself, then do it. All right, wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will never be blotted out. For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. So he's talking about when the lady's husband finds out, what is he going to do? He will not accept any ransom. Nor will he be satisfied, though you give him many gifts, like apologize and ask forgiveness and actually give him gifts. He's not, uh, not going to be uh, dissuaded from his anger through that. Unless he's a Christian, he will forgive. Now, I want you to remember, we're all sinners. Nobody's perfect. Uh, God can forgive us. But we don't go out and sin just because we know he'll forgive us. But God forgives us. And if we've done this, especially people that did it before they were believers, God will forgive you. You didn't know. Uh, some people grew up in the church, they know it's wrong, but they do it anyway. But God will forgive, and God is gracious. 
And if it wasn't for that, none of us could stand, no matter what we have committed, before God. Because I'm willing to, to just guess here that there's not a person in this room who hasn't committed the same sin, whatever it is, more than once, and yet God forgives us. And I want, I want to make clear uh, that that's still true. And by the way, uh, being sexually active before marriage is practice for cheating after marriage. Uh, what should a Christian's attitude be about moral failure in life? What, what should our attitude be like? How serious is it to God that we deal with these issues uh, by not doing the sin? Now Jesus tells us, you want to know how serious I want you to be about this? Well, let me talk about that. So in 29 to 30, the believer takes dealing with his sin very seriously, or with her sin very seriously. Now let me say at the outset, I don't think that God means for us to mutilate uh, the eye or the hand of a moral uh, offender. Um, I, I was listening to a man that had uh, been visiting in Arab nations. He was aware of what the Quran said. You, th you, you steal something, you're going to lose your hand. You steal again, you lose your other hand. You steal again, you lose your foot. You steal again, you lose your other foot. And he said, you can't believe the people I ran into that are sitting around begging and have no hands and no feet. You would think if they cut off your hand, you're going to learn something. Apparently, there are many people who don't. Well, consider this, okay? A blind person can still commit adultery in his heart, as well as someone who is handicapped and has no hands can commit adultery in his heart. How many mangled people would we have in society if we cut out our eyes or cut off our hands if we lusted after a woman who was not our wife? Uh, we would uh, be in need of our own prosthetic uh, building program going on in every city. I believe that Jesus is using hyperbolic language here. It's a figure of speech. Overstate something to make a point. So I tell people I never exaggerate. I use hyperbole. It's much more acceptable, right? Uh, but it's got to be true. And Jesus is using hyperbolic uh, language overstating a point because he wants you to get this it's a sin god doesn't like it deal with it deal with it so with every couple i know that's dating i'm always praying every day that they'll be chaste pure and faithful to god's precepts and if you know people in the church whose kids are dating or outside the church, you should pray the same for them each day. It is not easy in our society that promotes perversion for people to stay pure. So Jesus uses this, and he says, I want you to get a hold of this. Sin is a serious issue with God, all right? And we should take it seriously. That's what Jesus is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I believe that reference is in your, in your, in your bulletin. Verses 9 to 10. It says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, that's sex outside of marriage, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindles, will inherit the kingdom of God. And then Paul says, but such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. 
See, there's a difference between the way we look at these things and the way the world does. We no longer want to give our members our hands and our eyes uh, to, to do sin. We want to preserve that for the activities of God. And we want to realize we put off that old body of sin, we put on a new body, and that's where we need to live. Those who practice uh, those sins without repentance will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I wish our culture actually cared about what Paul was saying here by the Holy Spirit of God, but they don't. You should not dismember yourself over the issue. You should take sin seriously and do whatever it takes short of cutting your hand off or plucking your eyes out to get rid of that sin. How do I do that? Well, um, uh, first of all, I have knowledge of what I'm doing wrong and that I should do right. Only uh, is if I only have knowledge, that's not good enough of the wrong. Uh, I know it's wrong, yes, and I will be defeated by that wrong if I don't deal with it. Something has to change in our hearts in order for it to be successful. We have to get right with God. All right, we keep our accounts short with God. If we sin, we ask forgiveness. We stop right away. And it could mean that uh, the main culprits in committing sexual sin are in the eyes and the hands, and that's why Jesus brought this up. Let's apply Paul's wisdom here. Consider the members of your body being dead to sin. In other words, if, if I can reach out and sin, and uh-oh, my hand is dead to that, I can't do that, I don't have a hand to do anything with. Paul says, think like that. Uh, only use the members of your body. Only use your mind and your ears and your nose and your hands and your feet to do the things of God. Consider the members of your body dead to sin. So I can't use my eyes for adultery because I'm as far as, as far as I am concerned, when it comes to that, my eyes are dead. I have no eyes. I have no hands. Remember ancient Job's vow when he vowed in chapter 31, verse 1? He said, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look on a virgin. He means to lust after her. It's a good vow. It takes a decision to refuse to look at pornography as a first step in defeating its grip on you. Then there is confession to God for the instance of the sin, the, each one. Then we remove any demonic stronghold once we've got our sin taken care of before God that we allowed to be built in us because of our sin. Satan has, uh, has certain pictures in pornography that he uses to attach uh, to make a, a base of operation in men when they look at it. And you don't know which one it is by which ones you look at. You just don't look at any of it. And if you did, you confess it, take back the enemy's ground. Then we ask for God's help in remembering, uh, I'm mean, sorry, in remaining free. There is forgiveness and cleansing and healing, and he can fill our emotional cup. And it's because you didn't have emotional uh, cup fill, filled the right way when you were young that you're driven towards the sexual sin and immorality. Somebody has to step in and take care of your emotional condition. I want that to be your husband or your wife for you. Dr. Keener said, Lust is the debilitating, I'm sorry, lust is the deliberate harboring of desire for an illicit relationship. Jesus can help us with that. Jesus is not teaching a salvation by works. He is saying that if we commit adultery, there is a deeper problem in our soul, and it must be dealt with. Dealing with our, the sin of our soul, even if difficult, is worth doing. If we don't deal with our sin, we're not heaven-bound because God's children deal with their sin. Unbelievers don't. They don't care. Believers care about dealing with sin. Unbelievers don't care about dealing with sin. 
So let me uh, leave you a few applications and then we'll spend some time around the Lord's table. Number one, you can put a phylactery, which is that little uh, leather box with a strap that Jews put on their head that has little scriptures in it. Jesus said, bind my word on your head and on your hand. So they actually do that. That's not what he meant. He meant let your thinking be guided by the word of God. Let your hands be controlled by what God wants you to do. That's what he meant. But you can put phylacteries on your, your wrist and still sin against God. The heart is what matters. The heart is what matters. Number two, you can borrow my three-second rule if it is, if it's, I mean, it is free. Um, uh, because I grew up with a problem with lust and I got free of that, I made myself a three-second rule. It's not biblical. I just made a three-second rule. If you see somebody that's beautiful that might uh, cause you to maybe lust a little bit, in my mind, I give myself three seconds to turn away look away, ask forgiveness if I, if I lusted, and, and move on. And I don't go four seconds or five seconds or six seconds because now I'm dwelling and now I'm asking for trouble. So you can use the three-second rule. And thirdly, don't commit physical or emotional adultery. That's what Jesus is telling us to do. Uh, the Old Testament people said, okay, don't do it physically. Jesus is saying you can do it emotionally too. Don't do that. People that get divorced have been emotionally divorced for a long time before they ever see the judge. So don't let that happen. Number four, consider the members of your body as being useless or dead, <clears throat> dead when it comes to sinning. And keep short accounts with Jesus. Keep short accounts with Jesus. I'm losing the battle with my nose. Fortunate for you, we're, uh, because of the COVID issue, I am not now going to touch your communion tray. So that's good. 